Hey, it's Jermichael Jordan, and I want to welcome you back to Decoded. Decoded. Hey, everybody, and welcome into Live with Craig on this Tuesday night. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I have an amazing guest tonight, Pastor Jamichael Jordan here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he is going to talk about his extraordinary story from living his life as a teenager and growing up in the ministry and how he got to that point and how he's giving back in a big way. But before we bring Pastor Jamichael into the broadcast tonight, before he even, I didn't even know this until a couple days ago, I was doing a little bit of research. That's the reporter in me. He also is not just, you know, pastoring on Sundays and on Wednesday, Thursday nights or whatever. He's also discovered a new love during the pandemic. I want you to check out this broadcast here of this video from Lunch Chattanooga. Take a look. So Jay took him photography um, was an idea that I knew I had to explore. I always had an interest of just taking pictures. So about four or five years ago, I went and just picked up a small, cheap little camera and just went out and just started taking pictures. A couple months ago, I was sitting in my house uh, during the pandemic, like most people. The country was in an uproar with uh, racial discrimination, police brutality. And I realized we're in a pandemic and it's not about black. It's not about white. It's not about Hispanic. It's not about any other race. It's all about us, the human race. And we're all going through this together in this pandemic. And we're all suffering in a bit, in a way. I said, how can I capture this moment in time as well as showing unity? that we all need each other. We're all responsible for one another. And so I decided to pick up my camera and capture that. So the launch summer grant has been a true blessing to me. It lenses that I have just been drooling over <laughs> for the last several months saying, man, how can I uh, get the images and, and, and the looks that I want without the camera and the lenses that I need? And so launch grant was uh, giving me the opportunity to purchase those lenses. It's giving me the opportunity to purchase uh, materials that I need to go out and capture things outdoors. Because a lot of my photography was indoors because I didn't have certain things. And so I was able to get those things through the uh, launch summer program grant. And there you have it, Jermichael Jordan finding his passion during the pandemic, just like so many other people across the world finding new passions during the pandemic. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Jermichael Jordan into the broadcast tonight. How's it going, my friend? What's going on, Greg? What's happening? I'm doing well. Speaking of photography, you were just telling me a minute ago you were doing a little bit of photography of your own earlier today. How did that go? <laughs> if that's what you want to call it, it was uh, truly uh, an experience. And so, you know, I take pictures of everybody else. And so when it comes time to take pictures of me or my family, mm -hmm. it becomes a little, a, more of a challenge. I have two two boys, a three-year-old and a, a 10-month-year-old. And so trying to set up the camera, jump in, still be posed right, it was, it was a mess, man. So hopefully we got one. So how is it, you know, during the pandemic, you have been so busy helping and doing so much outreach in the community here in Chattanooga. So... When it comes to photography, what, how did you know, when did you find out that was your passion on the side? So the way that it happened, Greg, I, um, I went to school, University of Memphis for a film production. And so mm -hmm. all my life I've been on stage. I did theater my whole life, acting, stage, community plays, 
different uh, television and things like that. And so when I went off to school, I said, I want to get behind the camera. And so I got uh, the degree in film production at the University of Memphis. And just because the type of person I am, I get bored easily. So I was like, well, I, I got the video. I know how to do that. Now let me pick up a camera. And so I picked up uh, a digital camera, just bought some cheap offline. I said, if I get good with this cheap camera, I might go big for it. And so I started to pick it up and I loved it, man. I never put it down. And so I've been taking pictures probably about five years now. So Jay took them photography. How did you come up with that slogan or name? So it, I was sitting in the house. It's kind of funny. And I was I'm like, I want to come up with a clever name, something cool, something creative. And so I was like, first letter of my name is Jay. People mm -hmm. are always going to ask who took your picture. And be like Jay took them. So Jay took them. <laughs> I like it. I like it. it. It works. It works. So going back to your life, let's take it way back before, you know, I know you grew up part of your time in Indiana when your father was a pastor there at a church there. So where did the love for ministry come from? Was that something that was pushed upon you or did it come upon you? How did that happen? Well, that's a good question. So ministry for me has always been a part of my life um mm -hmm. i mean literally from my earliest memory has always been church ministry and, and that's what it was my father was a minister is a minister pastor my grandfather was a pastor so i'm a third generation minister um uh, but just of watching them observing them and and knowing the impact that they were making on other people's lives it really just inspired me it really was something i want to do so i feel like half of it was like wow my dad is this i think every kid is like whatever their dad is i'm gonna do that too and so as a young age that's like that's what i wanted to do mm -hmm. and so it was more or less being impressed and inspired and then actually man as i <laughs> as i got a little older i said this ain't what i want to do <laughs> so it started out as a cool thing that i might want to try then it got a little serious on me. I'm like, uh-uh, I don't want it. And so I kind of ran from it. <laughs> when you think about a cool thing, you were even like participating like as a kid, preaching. Oh, oh man, listen, listen, I cut no corners with my creativity. <laughs> that, that Wow, look at that picture. So that picture, that picture right there is actually a box that I believe my Aunt Denise or Aunt Susan sent my mom. It was just like a picture in it. And so okay. the way my mind worked, I was like, that could be a pulpit. And so I went and dug it out of the trash, got a little butter knife and cut crosses <laughs> in it and took a lot. I don't know if you can see the little microphone. That's actually a um, a toilet tissue uh, <laughs> roll. <laughs> and I taped it up there, man. That's my mic. So I've been doing so, that for a minute. Doing that for a minute. So when you talk about ministry, you actually, you know, you said you wanted to run away from it for a minute there. So talk about those teenage years when you wanted to take a completely different path and, you know, like most teenagers, you want to, you know, be with your friends, you want to hang out, do the things that they do. What what was that life like when you were going down that path? Yeah. So preaching was always cool until I found out it wasn't <laughs> until my <laughs> friends let me know that ain't, that ain't the cool thing to do. And so I think it probably happened around like middle high school, around that age. I was like, you know what? There is a lot of expectations that people already have on me based mm -hmm. off of who my father is and who my grandfather is. Um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my father had one of the largest, fastest growing black churches in really Indiana, especially in Fort Wayne where we live. And so he was always on the news. He was always in the forefront. And so I would almost get teased when I would come back to school. They're like, I see your daddy. He had a suit on. He had gators on and everything. And I'm like, man, chill out. And so I became PK, little preacher boy. And so I think whenever you become labeled something like that, and even mm -hmm. when you're young, you're trying to find this place where you can fit in, right? 
nobody really wants to stand out that early in mm -hmm. age. You know what I think? And so I tried to fit in, just tried to blend in, keep it low key. And so uh, I ran from it. And so I, I, there used to be this saying, they used to say that preacher's kids are the worst kids around. Now, I wouldn't go too far to say that I fit into that category, but I definitely started trying to create my own lane with that. Well, you look back at this picture here. <laughs> Where did you? Well, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't look this up. You sent this to me. Yeah, I, I, I forgot I did send that one. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look back at this picture, I mean, this is, you know, everybody has a life before they get into the ministry and everybody has experienced things. When you were out there with your friends, what was what was that like for you? And when did you know you needed to take a diff different path? Well, you know what, man, for me, I uh, I always knew I needed to. I mm -hmm. always knew I needed to. I, I felt I ran for a very, very long time. That was that picture right there was actually uh, in college. And so we all had like uh, money and debit cards with nothing on them posing in the club. <laughs> and so during that time, I believe one of, one of the things my parents never did was force ministry on me. They, they never forced ministry on me. I think a lot of people think you probably grew up in a home to where you better be at church every Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It was never like that. And I thank God uh, that it was not like that because I do know a lot of, you know, uh, preachers, kids who parents were like that and to the mm -hmm. point where it pushed them away from ministry. And I think what my parents did, they modeled uh, what, a, what a Christian life was in front of me. And so it's like they dropped little seeds that you innately inherit. And so that's kind of what happened with me. So when I went off to school, I had went to, uh, grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. People knew my name. They knew my history. They knew my past. I said, I'm going to go as far away as I can and start all over. And so I got a cool little nickname and everything. And so it's, it's funny. My friends didn't even know I was a preacher's kid until like my junior year of college, which was, was a disaster because then it was all elementary school all over again. But um, I think when I was out there, you know what I mean? There were things that I was, I was doing, you know, that I knew deep down in my heart, like, God isn't pleased. My parents aren't pleased with this, but this is where I am. It's like I almost made my bed and now I got to lay in it. And so I think during that process, it was a struggle. It was a fight between knowing what I should be doing and knowing what I wanted to do. And so uh, college was really a, a wake up call for me. Speaking of college being a wake up call, it was also the time that you found uh Brotherly Love, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So what led you to want to, and for people who don't know about Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, this is, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an alpha. Jamichael's yeah. an alpha. What made you want to be an alpha? Uh, only because it's the oldest, coldest, boldest fraternity on the planet. No, That's uh, what they say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. You look case. Okay. Huh? okay. All right. <laughs> Well, we are the fathers of it all when it comes to uh, the NPHC. Um, we were the first black fraternity, founded fraternity in, in Ithaca, New York, 1906. And so Alpha has always been a part of my life. Uh, I have two uncles that were Alphas, um, mm -hmm. Tim Smith and uh, also um, Sidney uh, Smith. They were Alphas. And so it started with those two guys, then it trickled down to my brother, who's an Alpha, as well as my cousins and then my little cousins. So it was like... If I was going to join any fraternity, it was going to be Alpha Phi Alpha. And then just the men that I grew up watching and admiring and to find out that they were alphas as well, it was like it was a done deal. And not to mention they were the coolest fraternity on the yard at the time. So that didn't help hurt. When you think about your life and going and coming back to Chattanooga, you know, after you graduated, life was college life was over. You're now in the ministry. 
you have been, and I've watched you, you are a, me uh, a mentor to so many young people in this community and so many other places. Why do you feel that it has been so important for you to mentor and put your hand and your influence over so many young people in our community? Basically, I think the reason it's so important to me is because I know where they are. I, I am them. I was them at one point in my life. Um, and I knew I know how critical, you know, that, that middle, that high school, that college, that that's that, that portion of your life is. It's like it's like being on a teeter totter. Right. Mm -hmm. You're literally trying to balance it all. And one bad move, one wrong decision can literally flip that thing over and change the trajectory of your life. And so. Uh, when I mentor young people, I see myself in them. And so mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I always say is that we all are going to make human error. Everybody's going to have human error. It's, 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 it's inevitable. But if you mess around and let that eraser, <laughs> that eraser disappear faster than that lead, then you're in trouble because you have nowhere else to write in your story. And so my job and what I believe God has called me to do is stop children uh, before they finish off that eraser. And let them know that they can start rewriting a new story, a new chapter in their life. And so it's just something that, that I know that people did that for me. I know a lot of people that invested in me and I know how much it meant to me and see where I am now. So if I can be that person in someone else's life, man, I, I, I would be remiss not to do that. If you can say anything to parents out there who are having a difficult time with their young people, their kids, teenagers, what would you say? I would say be patient. Be patient. I think uh, sometimes even as adults and as parents, we forget that we were once their age too. We haven't always been perfect. We haven't always been wise and had the wisdom that we have now. You got to make mistakes. And so I think that children oftentimes don't realize how important their uh, their parents' teachings are until they hit a brick wall. I always say mm -hmm. that. Uh, I was talking to a mother not too long ago and she was telling me how she was having trouble with her son. And she was saying, I'm trying everything that I can. I'm doing everything that I can. I keep talking. It seems like he's not listening. And I said, well, have you let him hit the brick wall yet? And she's like, no, that's not. No, as a parent, it's, not, it's my job not to let him hit the big wall. I said, no, as a parent, sometimes it is your job to let them hit. It. Because that's when you come to a moment where you realize, you know what? I can't go any further doing it this way, right? So either I got to listen to my mom. I got to start listening to the word that the preacher's telling me. Well, I'm really going to find myself not being able to recover from this situation. So I would tell parents, you know, be patient, pray for your children, uh, get them in somebody's church, man. Get them in somebody's mentoring program that if you feel like you can't uh, be effective with what you're doing, release them to somebody else who can really take care uh, and fill that void and that gap for them. When you think about your father, how has he played a role in helping mold you into the minister you are today? Everything I am is because of this guy right here, man. Uh, I've watched his leadership, uh, not just in the pulpit, but out of the pulpit. I've seen how he treats people. I see it as heart for God, his heart for ministry. Um, one thing that I always said is that uh, most people that I know don't look at him as a pastor first. They look at him as a friend first. And so mm -hmm. that's always been my approach with anything that I do. Um, uh, Paul, one of my favorite uh uh, individuals in the Bible says that I become all things to all people so that I may win some for Christ. And so that's kind of been his approach that I've watched him over the years do is to befriend people. People don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And so just watching his approach to people treating people right in the ministry is kind of rubbed off on me. And that's what I pattern my life off of. Is it is it tricky? Is it scary when you're when you were standing in front of the church for the first few time times giving your, your sermons? 
was your was your dad more critical or did he have like a certain look where it's like okay you got to wrap this up <laughs> my dad doesn't say anything that's the scary really part, right? <laughs> like when you're i remember my first sermon uh and i had never wrote a sermon before i went to him i said pop you know show me your techniques how do you do it he said it's easy just do it <laughs> and i'm like okay and, and i think his approach to doing that is almost like um sometimes you have to just let your children go to find themselves right mm -hmm. i feel like sometimes when you try to cuddle your children you try to give them and show them a, a blueprint or a diagram it can it can be hard for them to ever get out of that box and find their own wings and so he's always been supportive um uh, I, I think once i get off stage preaching after i thank god for not letting me follow my face that day i asked him i said man how was it and to hear him say man i learned something from it or that was amazing that i mean that that keeps me going when you think about your mom, she just celebrated a birthday a few weeks ago. What, when you think about your age, you know, how has your mom helped mold you into the young man you are today? My mom is the dopest, man. I, I Listen, I know everybody got a mama, but my <laughs> mom is the dopest, Greg. I'm telling you. Um, my mom is a sweetheart. She's um, one of those people who is very loyal. She's, ve she's a great listener, great encourager, great nurturer. Um, she from as far as I can remember, anything that I've ever wanted to attempt or do, even if she knew I was going to suck at it, she let me do it because she knew that I had to find my way through it. I had to find my wings. And so she's always been my greatest supporter. Uh, she would come to the baseball games, don't know a lick about sports, but she was always there and consistent, man. She's a sweetheart. She actually, uh, I believe I got my creative side from her. Uh, she has her own candle business that she just started, and she's doing a great job. So if you have it, if you need candles, you need to hit up my mama. She got some great candles. They smell good. I had no idea she did. I'm going to have to reach out to her because. Oh, you need okay, to get okay. We need, we need to talk on here. Yes. We'll, we'll get her on here soon. <laughs> when you Finally, as we wrap up tonight, when you think about family, mm -hmm. you have you have two sons, your wife, you know, Everybody thinks this is like the American family, the American dream. Uh, How did you know your wife was the one? I knew that's a good question. People ask me this all the time. You don't. You don't. And, and people don't expect me to say that. And you, I didn't know my wife was the one until it became uh, until I knew. Right. You don't know until you know. And I think I figured it out once I realized that, you know what, this girl really cares about me. She actually uprooted her entire life to follow me. Uh, to come here to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. She was already doing well. She was very established in Memphis. Uh, she had a great job. And so we were doing the long distance thing for about five years. Every month I would go to Memphis, she would come here and we were doing that so long to finally, she was like, look, what are we doing? I'm not getting any younger and you definitely not getting any younger. Look at that bald head. So what are we gonna do? So I was like, you know what, let's, 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 let's take it further. And so we got engaged and so from that process to knowing that I've had our, we've had our ups, we've had our downs. I mean, from no money to literally eating ramen. I mean, pictures don't always tell the story, right? <laughs> pictures don't always tell the story. And I think that's one of the most important things that people have to understand about ministers, period, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a, there's this expectation that you have this guy or you have this family who, you know, is trying to tell me how to live right from wrong not understanding that they have their own struggles. And I realized that my wife was the one for me because she still put up with me with my struggles, right? With the things that I had going on, she has it left. You know what I mean? So I'm just thankful to God that he put somebody like that in my life that can deal with me.
When you talk about those struggles, so many young people our age, they get married mm-hmm. and they feel like, you know what, I'm just going to get a divorce. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. You know, looking at your parents, they've been married for a number of years. Mm-hmm. How many years? Over 40 years. My parents uh, started, they met each other in the sixth grade. They've been together since sixth grade. Wow. That's yeah. a long time. When you think about relationships like that, what advice would you give young people to stick it out through the tough times when things get rough? I approach every relate every relationship, whether it be marriage, whether it be friendships, I approach it the way that God approaches me, like how I approach God. Like grace. You got to give grace. You have to extend grace. There's so many things that I've done in life that I know God could have just thrown me out. You know, you're you're no good. But the fact that he continues to give me chance after chance, the fact that he continues to love and show grace despite, you know, what I really deserve, uh, that's the same way that I treat any relationship, marriage. You know, the, you're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days. But what makes strong relationships is the fact that you can fight through those struggles, that you can fight through those tough times. And if you can fight through those tough times with a person and y'all can still remain just as close, then that's how you know you got something You got something there. And so... I would just encourage those who are thinking about giving up in marriage or any type of relationship. You know what? Just look back, step in the mirror and say, am I perfect? So if I'm not perfect, I definitely can show grace to somebody else. And, and finally tonight, as we wrap things up, fatherhood. Yeah. You're the, the father of two amazing little, little boys. When you look at them, what has fatherhood done for you? What? How has it changed you? It's done this, man. Look at this, Greg. I'm smiling. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, these guys, man, they they are my pride and joy. I, I mm-hmm. love them. I mean, there have been days, especially during COVID, man, where you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to get out of the house. But these jokers will come in and just slap me on the top of the head and just make my day. Uh, they're great kids. They're smart kids. They keep me laughing. Um, they're just good guys, man. When you think about COVID, you know, your youngest son was born in January. Mm-hmm. So he'll be celebrating his first birthday next January. Right. So COVID has really just changed how we have to live our lives. So it was hard this first year. I can only imagine you couldn't just like drop the kids off at grandma and granddad's house. (laughs) Right. They weren't going (laughs) to let me at all. I I tried. I definitely tried. Mom like, "Eh, not this week, baby. So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, it's been tough. I I, I know it's been tough for my youngest one. Well, both of them really, but my 10 month row literally didn't know other people existed until like a month ago when we went to the uh, my parents' house for a gathering. He has been in the house since January. Uh, and so for my three-year-old who was starting preschool, starting to get friends, was starting to know different people, to mm-hmm. have that and then just have it cut off like that and be stuck in the house, it's been torture for him. So we try <laughs> to do little things around the house, like go outside and play. I, I, I've never heard the word play so much in my life. And it's only so much playing daddy can do. So um, it's been a rough, it's been a challenge, but it's also been good. Cause when, when will you ever have this opportunity to be stuck in a house with people you love for this long and not have to be interrupted? So you got to take the bitter with the sweet. When you look back over 2020, what have you learned about yourself and what advice do you have for people going into 2021? Hmm. I would say for me is to let go of expectations, right? Have great expectations but don't hold on so tight to them that you don't allow God to do what he wants to do with you. And I think a lot of times we have these plans, we have these goals, we have these things that we want to get done and accomplish. 20 is funny. 
when we kicked off 2020, uh, I started a series at my church on January the 6th. Um, and I remember it like it was just yesterday. I was sitting in a, in a meeting with some of my, uh, my ministry leaders in December of 2019. And while we're sitting in the meeting, God literally spoke to me and said, all things new. All things new. I said, that's going to be our thing for 2020. Here comes 2020. The all things new that I was expecting it to be was not what it was. And that's why I said you have to let go of your expectations because we're not in control of any of these things. And so 2020 has taught me to let go, let God do his thing. And don't worry, right? I think when January hit or when March hit, April hit, we found out that we were going to be on lockdown. We had so much anxiety. We had so many things that we were dealing with. We didn't know what it was going to look like. But I'll guarantee you from April to December, you're still here. You're still healthy. You still have things to be grateful for. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas with some of our loved ones, for those who you know are surrounded by those who care. You didn't miss a meal. And if you did, you're still here. You know what I mean? So finding the small things to be grateful for, uh, finding opportunities to give thanks and to give to others, man, that's what 2020 has really showed me. Even though I'm going through to give to somebody else, to let them know they can too. Get through. Pa Pastor Jay, you have been with have so much wisdom tonight. I really appreciate it. For folks watching, I know we are like in this COVID season still. Where can we hear your sermons Sunday morning? I think Thursday nights, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, so we have a um, we have an app that you can download. It is in the Apple Store and as well as Google Store, where you can go to. It's called uh, the Village Twenty Eight Hundred Village Twenty Eight Hundred. You can download the app as well as you can find sermons on the Mount Cana MCBC Live Worship on YouTube. You can worship with us there. You can find some sermons on there as well. And also, I have a podcast that I uh, I started during the pandemic. That was pretty cool. That was something I started, and you can download my podcast. Uh, it's called Decoded with Jamichael Jordan. Okay. Awesome. Congratulations on all the work you've been doing this year. And if there's anything that I can do, we can do for you um, from the station to you. I just commend you for the work, the um, advice you're giving tonight. I really do appreciate it. And of course, keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Any plans for the new year? Any uh, goals for yourself? You know what? Didn't I just tell you not to have any extra technology? <laughs> No, I do have goals uh, for 2021, uh, and most of it is really just to, um, uh, to 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 enjoy life, to enjoy life uh -huh. and, and get as much as I can for it. And before we get off, let me thank you, Greg. I, I know you thank me for coming on, but let me thank you, uh, for number one, for just who you are. Uh, thank you for what you give, not just to uh, this station, but to this community. Uh, one of the greatest things you can ever do is be a giver to someone else. And so when we live in a world where everybody's full of getting, 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 you have a heart that gives. And I appreciate you so much. And I wanted to say this in front of everybody. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it, my friend. I just always told God years ago, and if I, I said, if I ever get this opportunity to be on a morning show, Monday through Friday, I wanted to give to so many people. So I've been, I've been, a, God has blessed me so much. So I want to be a blessing to so many other people. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. I really appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And praying that we're out of lockdown soon so you can let the kids go out and roam at grandma and granddad's house soon. <laughs> Most definitely. Much love. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Have a good night, everybody.